Hello and welcome to Finding Truth Matters with Dr. Andrew Corbett. We're pleased to have you join us for tonight's program. So we see in order to become a Christian and to live as one, it's only possible by a work of the Holy Spirit in you. Whether you move in church circles or watch movies, you will have heard the phrase Father, Son and Holy Spirit. It refers to God in three persons or the Trinity, who is always present, all-powerful and all-knowing. But does that impact our everyday? Oh, yes, it does. Many people don't quite know what to do with the Holy Spirit component of the Trinity. So Dr. Corbett is setting aside some time to explore just that. Tonight, Dr. Corbett is beginning a series on the Holy Spirit. So let's join him now and we'll explore who the Holy Spirit is and what he means for us today. I I see God's in control. No matter what happens, God's in control. And sometimes things happen that I don't understand and sometimes we end up in these bewildering situations where it looks like God's not listening and I can guarantee you he's listening. And sometimes we think God hasn't answered our prayer, but I can guarantee you God always answers prayer. It's, if you're a parent, you understand what I mean when a child thinks you never listen to me or you never, you never give me what I want. Any parent know what I'm talking about. And I think the same with God that sometimes he lets us go through things for our own welfare, our own benefit. I'm trying to find the exact source of this quote from Stephen Colbert. I don't know if anyone's ever heard of Stephen Colbert. He's an American comedian who has a a late-night TV show. I think it's a daily show. And he's extremely funny, and he's extremely open about his Christian commitment. He recently, as in not that long ago did uh, he'll he'll often have people on where he interviews them and he interviewed Ricky Gervais. Ricky Gervais is one of the funniest blokes on the planet but he hates God and it's really interesting how people say they don't believe there is a God but they hate him and Stephen Colbert was challenged by Ricky Gervais. How can you believe in God especially after all you've gone through? Now what Stephen, which I didn't know until recently about Stephen Colbert, is that his father and two or three brothers, at least two brothers, set off on a, a plane trip somewhere and the plane crashed and they died. And he was eight years old when that happened. And then sometime after that his mother got cancer and she died. And Ricky Gervais said, how on earth can you believe in God when things like this happen to you? And his his response was just utterly profound. He said, because I'm an orphan and I need a father. <laughs> Kim said when her father died in, in uh, the year 2000, and it shook us both up, and she said at that moment, the fatherhood of God became even more real to me. And Stephen Colbert has just got some some amazing statements like this that he's just out there in a world where you're not allowed to be out there with your Christianity. Ravi Zacharias said if you were broken down, your car was broken down in the middle of the night in a very dark sleazy part of town and you get out of your car and you're all alone, you've got no phone, you don't know what to do and suddenly you see three big burly guys coming at you down a dark alley, would it make any difference to you to know that they'd just come out of a Bible study? That's the difference Christianity makes in a person's life. But the thing, or should I say the person who makes the difference, is the Holy Spirit. Every Sunday, I think without exception, 
I cite this verse of scripture at the end of every service. I have been in church services where I have heard pastors and bishops and archbishops and all kinds of highfalutin people who are just brilliantly smart, clever people come out with these benedictions that are just profound, really profound. And I think, man, I wish I could have come up with something like that. But I, I haven't. What I've done is just taken the Apostle Paul's closing verse in 2 Corinthians to a church that was pretty dysfunctional. And these are the words that Paul the Apostle chose as his closing words to this church. And these are the words that I use every Sunday. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. I guess the grace of the Lord Jesus, we've heard about that. I sometimes put the, them in slightly different order. The love of God, I don't think any of us understand it. I think, it, I think as much as you might fear snakes, spiders, the dark, I suspect that the scariest thing that you'll ever experience is the love of God. It's pure. It knows everything about you. There's a good reason to be scared. And despite that, he still loves us. And the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the, the love of God, and the last one. Paul was pronouncing this benediction to the church at Corinth. And if you know anything about the church at Corinth, it had a couple of problems. Anyone know what the problems were in the church at Corinth? Anyone ever studied First and Second Corinthians? They were taking communion in a way that was inappropriate. It was belittling those who didn't have much. They were bringing their meal to church and making a mockery of what the Lord's table was. Absolutely. So there was disunity. That was one of the big problems. Some say I'm of Paul. Some say I'm of Apollos. Some say I'm of Peter. Some say I'm of Jesus. That was a problem. Disunity was a problem. Anyone know what the other problem? Kate, sexual immorality. And this church... At Corinth, sexual immorality and disunity, it was, it was tearing the thing apart. They didn't understand the grace of God. They thought, it was, they thought the grace of God was licensed to sin. And Paul's very, very clear. That is not what the grace of God is about. And here we have, if you can see in this verse, the ultimate example of unity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And here in this verse, we have the purest sense of what grace is and what love is. And I suspect that most of us can kind of begin to get our heads around it. But what I want to talk about over the course of this month, over the next five Sundays, and forgive me, you probably come up to me and say, how are you going to do it in five Sundays? I go, well, I, I, I can't. I can't possibly do it over the next five Sundays, but we're going to try. And it's the fellowship with the Holy Spirit. The fellowship of the Holy Spirit. How do we do that? Do we do that? And here's what I want to do today. I want to pass to you. I want you to be like hungry sheep that want good green pasture and you eat this. And you nourish your soul on it. And it doesn't just end up being notes on a sermon, note-taking book. It ends up being something written on your heart. Consider this. This is 
there's two really profound books in the, the Bible, in the New Testament in particular, that I find breathtaking, and Jude is one of them. One of the reasons Jude is so intriguing to me is because the language is almost identical to the unique language found in the epistle to the Hebrews. That, that's curious to me. Jude almost quotes Hebrews in his one chapter epistle that we have. But who was Jude? Anyone know? The half brother of Jesus. When he grew up and his older brother was just growing up and then one day his older brother went out into the wilderness and got baptised by a crazy weird guy who ate locusts and never cut his hair and smelt of honey. And then he begins to call himself the Lamb of God, the Son of God, the Messiah. How did Jude respond? We don't have to guess because the Gospels tell us that he was outside when Jesus came back to Capernaum where the family moved to. Jude was the one outside the house where Jesus was in teaching people about the kingdom of God that he was coming to establish. And Jude's going, oh, no, what has he, what's he doing? And you remember the scene where someone says, Jesus, um, your, your mother and your brothers and sisters, and it names four of his brothers and your sisters. They are out there waiting for, and calling for you to come out. Why do they want him to come out? Why did Jude in particular want his big brother to come out? You can imagine if you have a big brother, if he started calling himself God in the flesh, you can imagine the phone number you would be dialing now. You would think, and that we get a glimpse of how Jude responded. But something happened to Jude. His other brother, James, who wrote the epistle to James, something happened to him as well. Two, I think, of the most powerful witnesses in the history of Christianity. And this is what Jude says in his benediction. Part of his benediction. I'm just going to take one aspect of his benediction. It goes for about three verses. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit. I'm not looking for a show of hands, but I'm trying to challenge you now how many of us do that. Beloved, build yourselves up in your most holy faith. How do you do that? The word of God, as I'll, I hope will make clear. And in praying in the Holy Spirit, that's how you build yourself up. Hmm. So we see Paul and Jude describing what it's like for the Christian life to happen. And that's why we say this. In, we say what the scripture says. In order to become a Christian and to live as one, it's only possible by a work of the Holy Spirit in you. It's only possible if the Holy Spirit has done something in you to begin something in you and is continuing something in you. One of my fears, maybe not my greatest fear, but one of my fears is that I will pastor you and pastor this church and we will see a generation come up who will be inoculated to the preciousness of what we're talking about. They will think Christianity is just something you do on a Sunday. They'll think it's just 
ritual and routine and not heart, not spirit, not soul. The Apostle Paul, describing the interplay of the Holy Spirit in a believer, said this, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. In other words, disgraceful conduct. But be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. And if we had time and if I was doing an exposition on Ephesians, I would point out that in the opening chapter, Paul has said, be filled with God. And I would now point out that the only way that's possible is if the Holy Spirit does something in you and you are filled with the Holy Spirit as he closes his epistle. And in, I think, the most, for me, the most precious chapter of the New Testament is Romans chapter 8. And he says this, and note this about our relationship with the Holy Spirit. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. And when he says in the flesh, he doesn't mean this stuff. He means those desires that you have that are contrary to what God wants you to have. Those things, as Kim mentioned, are the things that we should feel deep regret over and shame about. If you're a Christian, that's not where you live. If you're a Christian... He goes on and says, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. And that's why to become a Christian is not a matter of joining a church. To become a Christian is not a matter of being born in Australia. It's not a matter of having Christian parents. I, ha- I had, uh, I think I can say this, I-, I had a pastor come to me who was on the verge of burnout from pastoring his church. And, and he said, we have these this will give you a clue. We have these regular church meetings after the service and people turn up for that who I've never seen in a church service because they are members of the church and so was their parents and so are their grandparents. And, and this pastor said to me, they're not even Christians and yet they're members of the church and every time I say, come on, let's do something to advance the cause of Christ, they vote it down. I think Paul says something about that here. Now, one of my, I'm using the word fear a lot, which hopefully you'll see why later. One of my fears is that some people will think I'm saying in order to be in the Spirit, in the fellowship with the Spirit, praying in the Spirit, filled with the Spirit, you have to be a a mad, raving, loony space cadet. Off with the fairies. And I'm not saying that at all. And so I'm not even, someone's, oh, well, you're going to get a balance. No, it's not one of my extremes that I want anywhere near halfway to. I'm not talking about that at all. I'm talking about what the New Testament describes about having an intimacy with Christ because of the Holy Spirit, an intimacy with God the Father because of the Holy Spirit. It affects that That relationship with the Holy Spirit affects how you pray, it affects how you live, it affects how you feel about your actions and your words and it shapes you. So this is what we need to know about the Holy Spirit because for some people it sounds like Old Testament, Old Testament, Old Testament, nothing about the Spirit there, then suddenly New Testament, whoa, where'd he come from? And that's not true. So this is what we need to know about the Holy Spirit. He was right there involved in creation. Right at the very beginning, in the beginning, God, opening words of the Bible, arguably some of the most famous words of the Bible, and how many of us think that is God the Father? 
But it's not just God the Father. It's God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. And then we go down in chapter 1 and we hear God talk and he says, Let us make man in our image. And then we read in verse 2 this. And I want you to notice who is present in the act of creating. And the earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God, another expression for the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. I want you to notice the relationship, the connection between the Spirit and water. It will be an ongoing connection throughout the Bible. Water. Jesus said, Come to me, and out of your innermost being will flow rivers of living water. And then later on, he talked about the one who would be responsible for that, whom he called in English the helper, in Greek, parakletos, the one who comes alongside, para, alongside, the kletos, the helper. So this is what we know about the Holy Spirit. These are some of the things we know about the Holy Spirit. He is referred to as the Spirit. He's referred to as the Spirit of God. He's referred to as the Spirit of the Lord. He's referred to as the Holy Spirit. He's referred to in Romans chapter 1 as the Spirit of holiness. And he's also referred to as the Spirit of Jesus. We see in Acts chapter 16 verse 7, And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. And in a similar way, Philippians 1.19, For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. What else do we know about the Holy Spirit? He is eternal. He is omnipresent. He is omnipotent, all-powerful. He's omniscient, all-knowing, and he is immutable. What does immutable mean, Pastor Tony? Unchanging, unchangeable, cannot change. He's always the same. By the way, if you have any one of those one, two, three, four, five characteristics, if you have any one of these five characteristics, you are God. You don't even need all five. You just need one of them and you're God. But God possesses at least all five of these attributes. And the Holy Spirit is described as having all five of these attributes. What else do we know about the Holy Spirit? He is co-eternal, co-equal, co-regal. He rules. And he is a member of the triune Godhead. There's a Greek word used in the New Testament in the, the epistles of Paul. It's the Greek word theotes. And it means Godhead. So some people say, oh, but the word Trinity is not in the Bible. You're a deal. I mean that in the nicest possible way. Because Paul uses the term Godhead, which is the word to describe the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we see at the, the baptism of Jesus, we see there's Jesus, the Son of God, made flesh. As he goes into the, just before, well, actually as he comes up out of the water, we see the Holy Spirit descending on him like a dove, there's Jesus, there's the Holy Spirit. And the voice of the Father booms from heaven. And, and we might render it something like this. That's my boy. That's my boy. I think it's King James language. This is my beloved son. I think it's, but that's my boy. 
So there's Father, Son and Holy Spirit. What else do we see? Under the old covenant, the Holy Spirit came upon people for a season, for a time. And we see, here's an example of this. You may know Balaam and his donkey. Uh, this is that Balaam. Balaam lifted up his eyes and saw Israel camping tribe by tribe. And the Spirit of God came upon him. Now, I guarantee you, the Spirit of God didn't stay upon him. But this is what we read in the Old Testament, that the Spirit of God came upon people for a time, for a season. Then, in the New Covenant, we see that the Holy Spirit after Jesus ascended and sometimes we think you know what Jesus did really was about the cross but if you if you ignored the resurrection you don't get it so it's the cross then the resurrection but if you don't get that he ascended to heaven you you don't quite understand the importance of the ascension as well and when he ascended it was almost like tag off you go and Jesus sent the Holy Spirit after his ascension and now the Holy Spirit dwells in every believer in fact you become a believer because of the work of the Holy Spirit your desires change your priorities change we'll see this in a moment and he abides with you you don't have the Holy Spirit and then tomorrow wake up and he's not there he abides in you and with you and the book of Acts when this happened the book of Acts described what happened when the Holy Spirit was sent to abide now here's the profound thing the Holy Spirit came into this planet on the day of Pentecost the devil's claim to be the ruler of this world was suddenly under threat it's kind of like d-day in the second world war the enemy has or the the good guys have landed so to speak that when the holy spirit came he didn't just come to touch and change and transform and redeem believers but he came into the earth with the presence of christ the whole earth is now under the influence of this savoring holy spirit and we read about that in the book of acts and we see throughout the book of acts that the holy spirit transformed believers Think of Peter. Days before this happened, he, he denied Christ three times because a girl asked him whether he was a follower of Christ. And then on the day of Pentecost, he stood in front of what most scholars believe was something in the order of 200,000 people crammed into Jerusalem and proclaimed to them, what Christ had done and that he was the Messiah. A, a, a massive transformation. We see that the Holy Spirit supplied miracles through the believers. Extraordinary things happened. People were raised from the dead. The blind received sight. The lame walked. The Holy Spirit enabled those who worshipped idols and, and were, were into paganism to be completely transformed. That was the church at Corinth. And the Holy Spirit used believers to birth new churches and I've got a hunch that the Holy Spirit is still in the business of doing every one of those things every one of them but over time something happened and church history tells us this that believers very soon began to neglect the intimacy that the Holy Spirit was primarily about you see, it would be too easy to think that the Holy Spirit's about the miracles, the transformation, the conversion of sinners without realising that the Holy Spirit was sent 
to bring every person that Christ redeemed into an intimacy with God. And we see about this. We see this happening in the last book of the the New Testament. We see Christ speaking arguably to the to the best church on the planet, that was the church at Ephesus. More letters are written to the church at Ephesus than any other letter, any other church in the New Testament. And this is what Jesus said to this church at Ephesus. But I have this against you. He's just said, you've done this well, you've done this well, you've done this well, but I have this against you. That you have abandoned the love you had at first. And Jesus goes on and says, unless you return to that first love, and what's first love? You know that, that I'll do anything for you darling kind of love. And then you get married? <clears throat> get it yourself. You know, it's like, <laughs> it changes. <laughs> yes darling, I'll walk over broken glass to get you that. No, I'm not going over there, it's broken glass. It's get back to that first love. And Jesus says you've lost that first love where you would do anything for me. Nothing was too hard for me. And now you've lost it. Get it back. And we see that in one of the best churches described in the New Testament. What about the others? My goodness me. And history tells us that sadly and tragically, they all forsook their first love. What happens when a believer enjoys intimacy with the Holy Spirit? What happens when a believer does those things that we've talked about the benediction that I will pronounce again today to have the fellowship of the Holy Spirit what happens when a believer neglects that what happens when a believer stops praying in the Holy Spirit what happens to a believer when they stop opening their heart up to God and asking the Holy Spirit to transform them have your way in me remove my desire and fill me with your desire what happens when a believer stops praying some of the Psalms which Say, delight yourself in the Lord and he'll grant you the desires of your heart. Most of us want to go to the part B of that verse. Just give me the desires of my heart without realizing delight yourself in the Lord and your heart desires will change. What happens when a believer sees that every minor little setback is God no longer loving them instead of recognizing it's it's those times, those seasons when you need to know God's love even more closely. So what happens when a believer enjoys intimacy with the Holy Spirit? This is what Jesus said. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I go away, he says, for if I do not go away, sorry, for the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Jesus said, it is to your advantage that I go away so that the Holy Spirit will come to you. Mamma mia, man, man. Jesus is saying, you are better off having the abiding presence of the Holy Spirit in your life than being with me physically here in one place at one time. I hope that we as a church recognize that to be a Christian is to be supernatural is to be spiritual just leading up to Christmas I was um, on my radar again um, came the uh, just when we went into lockdown I did a a four-part series called the mystery series where I was addressing the uh, 
the British historian who had just written a book called Dominion, where he talked about how Christianity had survived for 2,000 years, and not only survived, but done remarkably well. Tom Holland. And Tom Holland said just before Christmas, so just a matter of weeks ago, he said this, I hope Christians who enter into, because he's not a Christian, he says, but I hope Christians who are entering into this season of Christmas don't stop being weird. And he meant that in the literal sense of the word weird, which we talked about the other week, which is to be a supernatural people, to believe in miracles, to expect miracles, to do those things that facilitate miracles, like pray, to do those things that, that require belief in miracles, like Jesus being born of a virgin, Jesus being God in the flesh, and Jesus rising from the dead. That's all pretty weird stuff in the literal sense. In other words, it can only be if God is real. We don't have to win the approval of the world, but we do have to maintain the approval of God our Father by being in fellowship with the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, it's to your advantage that I go away, because if I do not go away, the the Helper, the Paraclete, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But He has. That's all we have time for tonight. For a CD copy or a premium download of tonight's discussion, I invite you to go to our website, findingtruthmatters.org, and select Holy Spirit Part 1 from our online store. As we've heard tonight, the Holy Spirit is co-eternal, co-equal, and co-regal member of the triune Godhead, and He abides with those He redeems. More from Dr. Corbett next week as he continues with more on the Holy Spirit. Dr. Corbett is pastor of Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. We look forward to joining you again same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.